According to Gallup, there was a survey done in October of this year, a Gallup survey, and they're wondering, projecting, how much the average adult American is going to spend on gifts this year. You ready for the number? Think of, think of your prediction in your head. $932 the average adult will spend on gifts this year. Now, it's interesting because, so last week we talked a lot about Advent, which is a Christmas concept, and sometimes we have things in our culture that exist in the way we do Christmas, but we wonder, and there was a survey we sent out this week of our own, not Gallup, we sent out a, our own survey, and we asked people like, what are some of the questions you have? What are some of the uh, things you're noticing about Christmas? One of the big responses that we got is how do we reconcile what's going on in culture around Christmas, the cultural Christmas, versus the biblical Christmas. And one of the big things we have to talk about is gifts. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a 30-year period, just for a moment, from 1970 to 2000, because I think we all have experiences either during that time or at least can think back to that time. I want to show you what the most popular Christmas gift was for each year, really quick. Now, it's interesting. You'll say these are all children's gifts. I read about this. It seems like back in the olden days, we really focused a lot less on the gadgets and all the stuff for mom and dad, and a lot of the Christmas gift giving seemed to really be for the kids. So if you're noticing this, it's not that I have some sort of bias in my survey or, or in my research. It's just simply that in 1970, the most popular Christmas gift was a $2 Nerf, Nerf ball. In 1976, the most popular Christmas gift was Stretch Armstrong. Anybody remember him? He was 2 to $3. Now, he still existed in the 90s when I was growing up. He was always in the bargain section. I never owned one. And I always thought it was kind of weird that all he could do, he wasn't like Batman, he just could stretch his arms. It was bizarre. I didn't get it, but some of you maybe loved him. 1982. What do we think? My Little Pony. My Little Pony. Now, I showed this picture to my three-year-old, and she said, I want one of those. So there are some things from the 80s that do translate. Let's keep going. 1988. What about 1988? The most popular gift? Trolls. Now, here's the thing. I, I learned about the trolls. The trolls actually started as a beautiful, handmade European toy in the 1950s. Beautiful, expensive. Then they decided they wanted to bring it to America, so in the 60s it again became a thing, and they were nice-ish, but they started to be plastic. By the time we get to the 80s, cheap, cheap plastic, but it seems like everybody had them. 1994, now we're finally David's alive. I was born in 1989. Most popular gift was the Power Rangers. Now, with the Power Rangers, we all thought about who would be the Red Ranger, whether dressing up or playing with it, etc. Keep going. And the finally, year 2000. Let's see if we can guess it before we put it up. Who has a guess of what might be the most popular gift? Sue is going to guess. Go for it. The Talking Elmo doll was earlier in the 90s. Actually, that is an excellent guess. Tickle Me Elmo was like 97. 2000 was the PlayStation 2. Forever changed childhood, right? Suddenly, instead of saying, Mom and Dad, I want to go snowboarding up in New Hampshire, hey, Mom and Dad, get me SSX Tricky, and I'm going to spend nine hours playing it. Am I right? Okay. Now, here's why I bring this up. We have a problem. I like to look at problems that exist in the text and society. I want us to see that the Bible is super, super relevant for us today. Yes, it is the Bible, and we shouldn't only apply it. 
But the problem is, is we have a very awkward relationship with gifts. Gifts are a biblical concept, but gifts can very quickly get very, very wonky. I want you to think about some of the most awkward gift experiences you've had. Let's start with this. Start about an awkward time where you gave a gift and it just didn't land. Think about that for a second. You don't have to embarrass yourself. What about a time that someone was so excited to get you a gift and they gave it to you and they were looking for that surprise excitement and what are you sitting there being like? Really? You got me, you, you got, you, you got me clothes when I'm eight and I like action figures? Thank you. I, I love the clothes you got me that are fancy and dress clothes. Right? So we have an awkward relationship with gifts. Now, here's good news. This really is something we can reconcile because there are biblical ideas of what it means to get gifts. I want to do a theological foundation. You can't and you don't pay God back. The gift I give my wife, my children, my pastor, my friend doesn't pay God back. The gift I give God doesn't pay God back either. Why do we give gifts? Not to pay anyone back. A gift should be an expression of love. It should be a response to feeling loved because we have a really awkward relationship with gifts. Let's look at what the New York Times said recently. There's a psychologist from Kansas City wrote this. Giving a gift, especially one you want to make a statement, can be a vulnerable experience. That's why some people get so stressed out giving gifts because it feels too exposing to express their emotions, and they feel like they won't do it right. So think about that awkward time. Let's, let's go to back to everybody's childhood, especially teenage years. First, significant other. What's the, what's the first memorable gift you gave to your first significant other? For me, and it's interesting because when I thought of this, and I'll explain in a second, so I gave an Audrey Hepburn-style gift to my high school girlfriend at the time, not Laura, someone who we don't know. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. So I gave this Audrey Hepburn-style gift, and I collaborated with my girlfriend's mother. I called her, and I still remember the heart palpitations and the sinking, uncomfortable feeling about being vulnerable enough to call her mother and talk to her on the phone, my girlfriend's mother. And then, giving the gift, I remember just feeling paralyzed. Is she going to like it? Is she going to think it's stupid? Is she going to think I'm stupid? What happens if she doesn't like it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a gift should be a response to love. It's not about, am I going to have some sort of weird sense of self-satisfaction when I give a gift. A gift should be, I'm in a relationship with a friend. I care about them. Here's a gift. I'm not trying to pay you back for our friendship. I'm not trying to appease you. I'm not trying to do something transactionally. I care about you. There's a, a type of platonic love in our friendship, in our relationship, and I'm responding to that. A gift to God should not be about trying to pay God back it's a response to love. He loved first, and so we love. We love because he first loved us. Responding to love. So if I'm giving out of some sort of weird obligation that I feel like I have to be religious and give gifts to God, Scripture is, if you do the Berean test where you search Scripture and say, what does it actually say? God's pretty clear that to obey is better than sacrifice, and he's not looking for our obligation, payments, gifts. It should be a response to love. And this is something that comes to 
are Christmas time. Because the reality is, we need to talk about the Magi. When we think of the Magi, here's, here's a true-false. Who says the Magi were there at Christmas? Who has the Magi in their nativity scene? Anybody? Okay, here's a little bit of a spoiler. I'm sorry, the Magi weren't actually in the nativity because we see that the Magi set out when they saw the star, but it took them probably two-ish years to get there. And so probably around the time that Jesus was two, that's when he got the gift. So if we were going to just have a focus, a message about this, the problem is, is that Jesus was a little toddler. And there's a lot we can learn from toddlers about how they receive gifts. For example, if I gave this to Henry, he would be super, super excited. But I could give him something $200 or I could give him this, it wouldn't really matter. Now, you're going to see this picture here of Henry at the Christmas tree because when a little toddler goes to the Christmas tree, what are they most excited to do? Take all the ornaments down. So the, the gate is for Henry and the dog to not destroy the Christmas tree. And so the challenge is, is that if that's what toddler Henry is like, toddler Jesus getting gold, frankincense, and myrrh, now we don't have a very clear biblical picture of how he responded, but there's not a lot we can do with this. There's just not. So we're going to cast aside Henry and the Magi. Instead, I want us to think in the Gospel of Mark, there's a story that we read earlier, which is called The Anointing at Bethany. I want to set up this story and make sure we're very, very clear about the context. You can say, David, why are we not doing a Christmas story in Christmas? Someone asked that. Oh, thank you for asking. So here's why. Here's why. Because sometimes the themes about a, a season, the themes about Christmas... We have to look other places in the Bible to really deal with them. The only Christmas story that we really have about gifts, yes, there's kind of the shepherds, and there's certainly the magi, but we don't really get to see this two-way interaction of giving and receiving gifts with them. Again, baby Jesus is just a toddler at that point, so it's kind of a one-way situation. But when we look to the anointing at Bethany, we have Jesus in the final days before Passover, when he's going to be betrayed, he's going to suffer, He's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on the cross and die and be buried. And so we have that coming up. But before that, we have this really interesting story about this woman who's completely unnamed, but Jesus is sitting there at this house of this guy named Simon, and they're about two miles away from Jerusalem, and Jesus has kind of taken up residence with his friends for the week here to celebrate Passover, and so they're hanging out here. And he's reclining, and what we see is this unnamed woman comes out of nowhere, kind of interrupts things, and she gives an amazing gift that immediately seems like a total dud. Have you ever given a gift that just didn't connect? Her gift does not connect with the disciples. If you remember reading the text, they freak out. They're like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. This was so valuable. You're wasting it. We could have given the money to the poor, etc." But Jesus comes to her aid and he says, you know, you're completely misunderstanding everything. What she's done is a special gift. What she's done has value. What she's done made a difference to me. And so that's what we're going to look at today with this idea of gifts. I'm calling this message the ultimate gift guide because we want to pay attention to three things when we're giving gifts. We can be giving them to God. We can be giving Christmas gifts. We can give birthday gifts. We can give random gifts. When we give gifts, if we pay attention to these three things, we will do gift giving in a much more biblical way. 
We want to pay attention to presence, to value, and the recipient. Now, I want to start by talking about presence. Let's go in the beginning of this text. We're going to go right through, starting in verse 3. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 14, verse 3, here's what it says. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. I want to be really careful about a couple things in this passage because anybody have alabaster jars hanging out around their house? Anybody? Okay, so sometimes there's things in the text that don't really resonate with 2022, and we have to understand what an alabaster jar is. So imagine your grandmother's watch, or imagine your great family heirloom that's precious and irreplaceable. Think of that in your head. That's kind of like what the alabaster jar is. What it actually was, it was this, it's closer to a vial, almost like a flask. It was small and has this long neck. And in order to use it, you have to break it. It's a one-time use thing. And the challenge is, is that it's likely a family heirloom passed down and has incredible value in a lot of different ways. But what happens The woman takes this, breaks it, shocking, and now the anointing. When we think of this story, where do we think of Jesus being anointed? We often think of this as taking place on his hair, right? She goes up, breaks it open, pours it on his hair, right? Not according to the original Greek. The original Greek makes it very, very clear that this is the part of the face above the brain. She comes over, out of nowhere, he's reclining, having a dinner party, breaks it open, and dumps it on his face. Now, you can look at all sorts of parallels. You can say, what's the significance of that? It definitely connects back to the idea of Samuel anointing David, the shepherd boy who would eventually become Israel's king. There's a whole messianic dimension we don't have to get a ton into with this conversation. But the reality is this comes out of nowhere, and what does Jesus do? The last time I've checked, any of us who get someone to just dump something on our face... We don't tend to react well to that, but Jesus does. He gives a gift of presence, and he just enjoys the fact that she's doing something and and he's available for it, and he simply, it's not that he has to say the perfect words or anything, he's just present for her, and that is a gift. He gives her a chance to do a gift. Now, here's the thing, and this is something we have to really pay attention to. Presence, not the other kind, presence like under the tree, but presence is a gift that can be much more powerful than a $200 thing or a $500 thing or an 80 cent thing or a $3,000 gift. The reality is, is, and this is a very biblical concept, when we're thinking of a way to give a gift that makes a difference, if I'm sitting there, where's my cell phone? It's over there. But if I'm sitting there and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this wonderful experience. We're going to go to Edaville, and it's going to be great. I'm going to be with my kids, and I'm on my phone the whole time. I'm not giving the gift of presence. It's better at that point to stay home, put my phone away, and just be present with my kids than to say, hey, we're going to do this extravagant thing, but I'm not going to be present at all. Being present can be the greatest gift you need to give this Christmas season. Here's a story from my life. I had an interesting late teenage years experience, college age. Another story for another day, but I found myself stranded with my car broke down in the state of Illinois. 
not knowing anyone, not having any, any connections, very different limited internet connection there than what we have. And I didn't know what to do. So I called my dad and I said, help, you're not here. I don't know how we figure this situation. So we called a pastor. And the pastor dropped everything he did. His name was Reverend Shalom. I don't know his first name. He dropped everything he was doing and he drove me around. He helped me find the right mechanic. He listened to me. He listened to what was going on. He didn't judge me. He didn't necessarily give me advice, but he was present. He prayed with me. He even took me to Cumberland Farms and got me a $2.99, a $2.99 turkey sandwich. <laughs> His presence made a huge difference to the point where I still remember this. That was 2009, so we're talking 13 years later. His gift of presence, I can't necessarily remember what I got for Christmas in 2009, but I can remember that gift, and that's something each of us have. So my question for you is, are you willing to give the gift of presence this season? Are you willing to receive the gift of presence? Sometimes we don't need someone to buy us the most expensive thing on Amazon. Maybe we just need to have a nice memory with them and spend time with them. So there's our first one. Let's continue as we look at the woman in Bethany. Value. What do we place value in? Is it about money? Is it about something else? Because this is one of the great things that Scripture has to come to terms with, is what are we placing our value in? You're going to see that the disciples freak out. Why do they freak out? Because they're placing their value on something very specific. Let's see what it says. Verse 4, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for years' wages and the money given to the poor. I want to talk about indignant. Have you ever felt indignant about injustice? You looked around and saw something that just wasn't right and you were indignant. You were angry and you felt like your anger was righteous. Now it's interesting. I want to, I want to go a little deep into Mark's gospel for a moment. The word indignant appears three times. First time, it appears with Jesus hanging out with the kids and the disciples say, hey, let's shoo those kids away. Jesus, you're too busy for that and he's indignant. He looks at that and says, that's an injustice, that's not okay. Second time, the disciples hear that James and John have said, hey, Jesus, I, I want special permission to be your buddies in your kingdom, so let's be on the left and right. And the disciples are indignant at this. They say, hey, we're all in this together, that's not right. And here's the final time. Those gathered see that Jesus has been, had this gift poured on his head and they're indignant. And they say this. That was wasted. You took something that was precious and completely wasted. But the problem is, is that if they looked at relationships, there are great value in relationships. In doing something and saying, hey, I'm just doing this as a response to love. That's our big idea. I'm just doing this as a response to love. That's all she's doing. It reminds me of a time I was given the gift of being able to go to the Patriots. I was really excited. And I got, I was a little kid, and I got to go see a lot of the players. And I got to get a signed football by a no-name guy at the time. It was the mid-90s. A guy named Troy Brown. Do we remember Troy Brown? Okay. So Troy Brown was like a six-string whatever at the time, and he was a nobody, but he was a really, really sweet guy. He gave me a gift of presents. He gave me an interaction for a couple minutes. I've written about this in the encouraging words. But he gave me this wonderful gift of presents, and then he signed my football. And the truth is, I didn't treat that football like it was something that now needed to be put on a shelf 
and it had monetary value maybe or maybe not, but I loved that football. I was really excited that Troy Brown signed my football, and I played with it. I took it to school. I kicked it around. It had great value for me because he was present. It was a positive memory, and yeah, the football got ruined. Oh, well, so now I don't have a football that's probably only worth like 40 bucks anyhow. But I have something so much better than a value of a football monetarily. I have this wonderful, wonderful memory. And so here's my question for you. What do we value? When we're going into gift-giving time, is it all about, hey, I got I to gotta get something that's going to be so expensive. I got to give something that's so expensive. Got to receive it. Or is it saying, you know, Christmas time isn't necessarily about how do I transactionally get the most. Yes, maybe the average American spends $932 this year, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. But am I focusing on the value of relationships with people? Like that woman. She gives something that she can't give back. It did have immense material value, but that wasn't the point to her. Her point, she was responding to love, and she just broke open the alabaster jar, poured it over Jesus' head, and gave him this wonderful gift. And here's our final one recipient. You know, when we give gifts, so often we don't focus on the person receiving. We focus on who? Ourselves. This is something we see with gift-gifting so often. One of the reasons we look in the Christmas season and we find it stressful is because we're trying to prove ourselves with our gift-giving. We're trying to give that gift that's going to properly show this person this. Oh, you know, they just do so much for me. I'm I got I to just show them how much I care. And it feels, it's a pressure. It feels really hard. But let's look at what happens here. Because Jesus is very clear, even though the people are indignant and they're frustrated, Jesus is incredibly clear how much he loves the gift and how much it means to him. Look at the text. Verse 6. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of the time. Now, we have to be really careful because this is one of the verses of Scripture that gets misused. Have you ever heard someone misuse this verse? You'll always have the poor. So we have to reconcile that. What is Jesus actually saying? Is Jesus saying... You're always going to have the poor so they don't really matter. He's not saying that. Is Jesus saying, hey, the needs of the poor are real, but they're second to my needs? He's not saying that. Is Jesus saying, you know, there's a lot of things going on in life right now. And you've got an opportunity to be present with me, to appreciate that you have me here. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you shouldn't value the poor. In fact, the word that's used is, it comes across more like this. I'm going to read you a translation that I wrote out. What he's really saying sounds more like this. You will always have a close personal relationship with the poor as Christians, but my time is finite. Jesus is very clear that anyone who follows him should have a close personal relationship with the poor. He's not saying, hey, the poor don't matter. He's not saying, oh, the poor just exists, so whatever. What he's saying is focus on the recipient of each gift. If you're going to give a gift to the poor, give a gift to the poor. If you're going to give a gift to me, give it to me. 
You don't have to do everything all at once and have this weird guilt and all these conflicted feelings. Just be honest that when you're giving a gift, it's a reaction to love, a response to love. And so here's the thing. If multiple needs exist, because they do, when we give gifts, The Atlantic says this. There's a magazine called The Atlantic, and it says, gift giving is about the buyer, not the receiver. Many of us want to feel like we're benevolent, yet we pay substantial attention to how the process of giving gifts will make us feel about ourselves. So The Atlantic takes this idea and goes one step further and says, you know, there's two types of gifts we give. There's gifts that are satisfying, and you're trying to give a gift and it'd be useful and helpful and add value in another person's life. And there's gifts that are about reaction. Wow, can you believe that that person spent all that money on me? And the challenge is, is that if we're not focusing on giving gifts as a response to love, we can very quickly be showing ourselves off, trying to get a big reaction. But that big reaction isn't about, and this is according to Atlantic, it's also according to the Bible. That big reaction isn't rooted in love. That big reaction is rooted in pride. In In looking at and saying, you know, I'm a big deal. Look what I can do for this person. I think of the fact that we have secret Santa parties often at my work. Does anybody have a secret Santa at their work? Or secret Santa you do in your family? Now, some of my favorite gifts that I ever get come from the $10 and under secret Santa because the people who give them over the years have realized that you don't need to get me a $200 thing to wow me. I would prefer if you got me crazy socks. I wear crazy socks all the time. I've got Snoopy, and I've got surfing. This says, here comes cool dad. I've got the little alien from um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because when we're focusing on the recipient, if we give them a gift as a response to love that's actually going to be useful and make a difference in their life, that is way better. I joked before and said that Henry, if he received a gift, would love to just have this. Recently, I was talking to a coworker of mine, and she said, hey, do you know about this water park on Cape Cod? You know, your kids would love it. And I said, yeah, they probably would. The challenge with Henry right now is that truthfully, I could let him come into your classroom and knock your chairs over, and he'd be just as happy. <laughs> which is true, which he knocks chairs over all the time, and he displaces all the stuffed animals. When we're thinking of giving gifts... Are we giving gifts about the recipient or are we giving gifts based on us? One of the greatest Christmas gifts I ever received was tickets as a nine-year-old to a Shakespearean play, Othello. Who wants to go see Othello right now? Does that sound exciting? Seeing like one-ish, two hands, there's three hands. Thank you. Okay, so my dad decided that he was going to get me tickets for Othello down in Rhode Island for Christmas. And everybody thought he was crazy. They were like, what are you talking about? But he understood the recipient. He understood that as a nine-year-old, yes, earlier I had fought over the Red Power Rangers, like I mentioned, but I was a kind of precocious child and liked that, and I really enjoyed it. It was a moving experience. And to this day, I still remember the portrayal of Iago. It really inspired a love for villains. I looked at how complicated Iago the villain was, and then I drew parallels to Darth Vader, and then, I start, and then I drew parables to all these other villains and things, and I read through the AFI villain list, and I got really excited because he focused on the recipient and gave me something 
that was useful and appreciated to me. And that gift I remember. Now, a lot of gifts that we give, maybe we remember, maybe we don't. This gift made a huge difference to Jesus. I want us to look at what he says. She has done, this is verse 8, what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew he was going to go through suffering. He knew it was going to be difficult. If you look through the rest of Mark chapter 14, you see all the different ways he suffers, all the different ways crazy, difficult things happen. He knew that was coming. He knew that he was going to die a criminal's death and not have the proper burial with the proper anointing. And so for him, this is what he really desperately wanted. He just wanted someone to acknowledge that he was the Messiah, and he wanted someone to just have this gift, this expression of faith for him. And it made a big difference. He makes that clear. What about for us? When we're giving gifts as responses of love, are we focusing on the individual? Because here's this. We will never truly know their impact. Jesus makes it clear at the very end of this passage. What he says is really interesting because look at what he says. I tell you the truth, verse 9. Wherever the good news, the gospel, is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. We are 2,000 years later talking about a gift. We are remembering it and discussing it. Now, that is not a promise that if you give a gift this year out of a response to love, that they're going to be talking about your gift 2,000 years ago. But please, let's remember, we never know what God is going to do with our heart. It's been said that different preachers have different key themes. My, my father and I have been playing around with trying to figure out what our big themes are. When you have a pastor stand sermon, the big theme, yeah, it'll deal with the text, but the big theme is often trust God. When we think of other pastors, you think of someone in, in pop culture like a John Piper. John Piper has this big idea of God is most glorified when we enjoy ourselves in him. For me, here's my big kind of thought, and this is something I always like to bring us back to. God wants my heart, not something else. God doesn't want my religion. God doesn't want my guilt. God doesn't want my anxiety. I mean, he'll, he'll help me work through those, but that's not the gift he wants. He doesn't want repayment. And so for each of us, this Christmas season, we never know the impact. Maybe we stop at a family party and things get weird, and the teenager is all frustrated because she felt shamed, and now she goes into the other room because someone made a comment and made her feel awful. Maybe we give our gift of presence and we follow her appropriately and say, hey, is everything okay? Like, I care about you. I'm so glad you're here. And not give advice, not just say, oh, by the way, now that I have you here, um, you're going to accept Jesus right now, we're going to do the sinner's prayer, and your life is going to be all different. But saying, hey, you know, I don't know what the impact of me being present with you is, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I care about you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm sorry it's difficult. And listen and pause. That can be the greatest gift we give. Because the value of our gifts is not their monetary value. It comes down to our heart. If we're responding to love, amazing things happen, and we got to focus on the recipient. And so here's, we like to respond, and so I'm going to invite the elders of the church forward. And if you are feeling stressed out at Christmas, we'd like to invite you to come forward and have prayer. I'm going to invite the elders and the, the band forward. If you're feeling stressed out, 
If you're sitting and looking and saying, you know, I'm having a hard time giving gift of presents because I'm being pulled apart. You know, you don't understand, David. I got this Christmas party and this thing, and then I, I've got two things on this day, and all the normal activities are happening, and there's a cheer competition, and, you know, they're making me do this, and then my boss got mad at me and called me in for this, and I'm just so stressed out. I'm so frustrated. We'd love to pray for you. If you're sitting and dreading Christmas coming because you can't, you're having a hard time making ends meet and you want to give a certain financial value gift and don't feel like you can and it's eating you away and you're saying, I really, really want to give this, like the gift of the Magi. We have that wonderful O. Henry story, the gift of the Magi, where they just desperately want to give this gift but they can't financially do it. So the watch is sold for a beautiful comb. The hair is sold for a beautiful watch chain. And they realize it's about the heart. We want to pray for you. If you're having a hard time focusing on the recipient and you're saying, wow, you know what? Christmas is becoming not all about Jesus and not all about my family. It's becoming all about me and my ego and my frustration. We'd love to pray for you. If Christmas season is stressing you out, we invite you forward as we sing our final song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all the ways you're working in our lives. Please work in the Christmas season. Bring us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.